Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Innovation. Today, we are hoping that we are going to give you some incredibly life and hopefully potentially limb-saving information that could come from a moment of unexpected illness where you could end up with yourself or a family member that has presented with a urinary tract infection, with COVID, or another respiratory illness, and suddenly ends up in the ICU, the intensive care unit, on multiple machines to keep you alive. But you don't know in that moment, and you're not ready in that moment to make a decision to say, hey, I know there might be side effects, so don't do it right now because we worry about the side effects. That's not even going to come up. It's going to be save my family member's life, save my life, whatever you can do. And let's hope and pray that those side effects never happen. And we have a family member of someone who ended up with one of the most extreme side effects to one of the machines and one of the medications. And she is going to share her family's story. So this is going to be a very powerful hour that you literally cannot miss. So with that, Dr. Phillips. Wow. Hi, Kim. How are you? It's going to be a very emotional hour, I think. Yeah, I, I, this is going to be heavy, but heavy in a good way. It, it, to your point, doing what we do, we see patients and family members who are quite vulnerable. They were seemingly, quote, normal, you know, maybe an hour ago. And now all of a sudden, right. their world is, is flipped on its head and decisions need to be made. And there's a lot of trust that has to be put in the medical field yep. with physicians, nurses, etc., And you have to kind of acquiesce some of the control that maybe you're used to having and, and just trust people and, and hope that uh, they, they can help you. I remember early, early in my career, I was on call and I got called in for a patient who was arresting in the hospital and I came in and clearly the patient was having a heart attack and we, um, took him to the catheterization laboratory. So we were looking at his arteries in the heart. He was very sick. And we actually put the patient on what's called ECMO, which I think we're going to be talking about and we can get into it uh, a little more in depth in the show. But basically when you get put on ECMO, your, your body, your heart and lungs are being bypassed by the machine. And I remember telling, you know, we, we kind of got the patient through it, but he was gravely ill. And I remember going, talking to his wife 
And she looked at me and said, well, are we still going to be able to go to Thailand next week? <laughs> and I, Oh, wow. And I, next oh, week, yes. week later. And, yeah. Wow. And I was, I didn't really know what to say, but it just, you know, I didn't, I, and after a while you have a, a while, you can process the whole thing and, you just totally understand that these folks have no clue what's going on and they're just scared and vulnerable and the, their reality is, is, is no longer what it used to be and they're not thinking straight. And so that as a physician and a, and an, and a, a, you know, an extender of healthcare, you just have to make decisions for people uh, and do what's in their best interest. So looking forward to speaking with Jenny uh, I know it's going to be a difficult conversation to have, but hopefully our audience will learn f- something from it because I know I will. So should we start with a moment of inspiration from you? I guess yeah. so. <laughs> Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Are you ready, Kim? I am ready. I'm always ready for your moment of inspiration. Uh, all right. Thank you. So uh, this is a quote from a... Uh, a, a, a physicist who was a Nobel laureate and it's a little bit heavy. His, his name is Richard Feynman, F E Y N M A N. And, and he is now he's kind of talking about the importance of um, scientific integrity and, and having some skepticism, but he says, and he's quoted as saying the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. And I think that it speaks to when you conduct scientific research, um, you want to make sure you're vigilant in identifying mistakes, correcting mistakes, making sure you're not making false assumptions. Uh, but I also think it's kind of philosophical in the sense that you can kind of convince yourself of almost anything sometimes, and, and you have right. to be aware of that. And and in these situations, when when mom or dad is gravely ill things can happen and people can get convinced of they can go down these rabbit holes and it's important to have some healthy skepticism. But again, it's also important to, to kind of trust the the people that are taking care of your loved one and hope and, and understand too, that everybody is working in their best interest and trying to help them. They try. And, and one of the issues that we're dealing with is I think that our healthcare system overall, especially since COVID is overburdened, they're short staffed and Everyone who is on staff right now, they're trying their best, but they can't always be there. They're trying to be there. And so, especially during this show, it's really important for a patient's family to be an advocate and to bring on an advocate to make sure you're asking the right questions and just making sure to offer some healthy reminders as to what is expected because you can't be everywhere at once when you don't have enough people for one, but knowing that every single person that is there has the best interest at heart of every single person there. Can they be everywhere at once? No, not always, but they're going to definitely do their best. And if a family member can be proactive and have the information they need, have the questions that are most pertinent and impactful. I think that that's really important. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we often take for granted the stress of of a procedure, a general procedure or an elective procedure, not only on the patient, but family members. I 
did a procedure today on a patient that needs to come back um, and actually get some work, more work done. And I was listening to the family. There were about four members discussing how they were going to have to take off work and who was going to pick mm. up so-and-so and, and how are they were going to get the other person. And, and, you know, we kind of think about it like, Oh, well, well, let's just schedule them in two weeks. I mean, and then I walk out and go on my merry way and somebody schedules yeah. them, but we don't think about the fact that you're changing someone's day. People are taking time off of work. I mean, it's pretty impactful. And so we have to be, I, I always try to be a little bit more cognizant of that when I'm making, helping make decisions for patients. Cause it's not just about me and getting the work done. And it's not just about the patient too. It's about that support system uh, that is trying to help them. And how about when you do have a patient in this situation, you're talking to the family, people who are not clinicians or physicians, how do you, in a sense, provide that information? Because what we find in, in what we do with The Way to My Heart, which is a nonprofit 501c3 advocacy group for people with circulation issues in their legs, known as peripheral artery disease, that people, um, sometimes the doctors dumb it down so much that the patients and the family can't even look things up on Google and get accurate information. Uh, and so how do you balance that? How do you explain things to to the family as to what's going on? What is your your process? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And what is particularly more troubling now, in my opinion, is the immediate and instant access that patients have to their medical record uh, through the electronic medical record. And oftentimes, and I think it's good. I mean, obviously, they want to be involved in their health care, but they have access to all the documents that we have. They have access to our progress notes. We call them. That's just kind of how we assess a patient and make recommendations and things of that nature. They have access to the letters we send to other physicians. Right. And we speak in a language that, that most folks don't understand. And it becomes very problematic when patients who now they have quicker access sometimes to their chart than we do. I mean, we don't sit, I don't sit there and, you know, look at my in basket, it's called all the time, but patients will get a CAT scan report and it'll mention something and they'll Google it. And then next thing you know, they're calling you and saying, Oh, I thought I saw, I heard, you know, I read this and do I have this? And it's, it's really, so you try to balance that. And then you also try to balance the, the notion that when you talk to a patient in the office, they probably hear and understand about maybe 10% of what you say and right. like everybody, they gravitate towards negative statements um, and then they kind of not ignore, but just gloss over or kind of passively maybe hear the positive things. And so to answer your question, I mean, I try to be as as direct and concise as possible. Um, I always make sure to ask them at the end, do they have any questions or concerns? Uh, I always encourage folks to write down or if they want to um, record the conversation, I don't have a problem with that or call somebody and, and have them listen in. And at the end of the day, I'm always, I say, listen, I, I'm the kind of the coach here. I want you to be the quarterback. Uh, you know, we can work on a playbook together and I can recommend some plays, but you know, you're going to have to help me execute them. And that usually, at least that's my shtick, so to speak, to try to under get folks to be on a relatively level playing field with me. Diagrams are super helpful as well. 
Um, but again, yeah, you're, you're trying to explain something, a complex disease, um, to somebody who has oftentimes very little understanding of what's going on and, and rightfully so are pretty anxious. And so you've, you play psychiatrist to your patients and psychiatrist to yourself sometimes. And the more information you give, the less likely that these patients are going to be turning to Dr. Google or to groups such as groups that we monitor with the weight of my heart, where people start posting those results you talked about that you haven't had a chance to discuss with them personally. Mm -hmm. And they're asking a random group of peers, hey, what do you think about these results? So that can become a real problem. So the sooner the doctors have a chance to have the conversation about those results with the patient and the more comprehensive the conversation they have with those patients, the better. Now, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we are going to talk more about that and why Jenny Parakango, the daughter of a patient, came to the weight of my heart to seek answers to help her mom who's in the hospital even in this moment fighting for her life and limb. So you don't want to miss that. Stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome, everybody, to I think what's going to be a very impactful and emotional and hopefully educational Save My Piggies. We have Jenny, who is the daughter of a patient who's right now um, struggling to to survive, uh, who's very sick, and she's going to share the story of her mom with us. And as Kim, as you know, Save My Piggies is devoted to patient advocacy and um, really allows patients and family members to to tell their story. So let's just get into it. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Phillips. Thank you, Kim. Hi, my name is Jenny Tarakangle. I am the daughter of my mom's name, Chantal. I won't say the last name. Well, what happened is my mom um, came from Africa after post-COVID. She came to see her granddaughter, which is my daughter. Two years after. Brand new baby. Brand new baby. She came to see a brand new baby. It was an exciting moment. But unfortunately, my daughter had COVID. I had COVID. We had to put my mom elsewhere with my sister for at least the uh, quarantine time until 
everything's fine because she's diabetic. We didn't want to put her at risk. That's the reason why she didn't live right with me, but she left, she lived with my sister 10 minutes away from where I live. It was on Tuesday. I walked in there because it was my daughter's birthday, and grandma didn't see the, her grandkid, grandbaby for the first time. She, we were, okay, we'll go there in the morning. We're going to surprise grandma for the first time. It's your birthday. We'll bring in cake. You uh-huh. probably you're going to be two. It was just an exciting moment. That was four days after my mom came. It was four days. She came on January 27th. And that was uh, January 31st. So we went there in the room, walking. My sister went to school. The other went to work and one went to school. She was home with a friend that she came with, with her friend, a friend of hers. So walking to their apartment and nobody, everybody was quiet. When my sister previously called me, said, hey, mom threw up last night and she was not feeling so well, but she's sleeping. I was like, okay. I got there at nine o'clock. I was thinking about going there at 12 after uh, lunch, but I said, no, let me get there at nine o'clock. And the daughter was sleeping and I went there walking. She was not, there was no noise. I said, ah, maybe she's tired. You know, I would let her sleep a little bit. It's nine o'clock. So she, if she slept at six or seven, that's only two hours. I'll give her a little bit more time. Then I'll surprise her. Just open the door and come in with the cake and we can just, uh, you know, big happy family. Finally, she can see her granddaughter. Then I tried to put my baby in bed, uh, but she didn't want to sleep. She started crying. And I was like, oh, man. That oh, no, she's going to wake grandma. I yeah. know. I don't want that. She'll mess up a surprise. So, oh, my God. Aww. You know what? She's grandma. She'll be up and she'll go back to sleep later on because she was still having the, the time difference from home and here. We have like six hours. It was like six hour difference. So she sleeps late and wake up very, very late in the afternoon. So I went there. I opened the room. I opened the door just walked in her friend was sitting on the floor holding her hand and it oh, was no. so hot it was so hot in the room i said what's going on here it's too hot oh no your mom said she was cold so i put in uh, the heat on and she even put the uh, the portable one i said really and i came mom i called her mom she was no i said why are you sitting in the corner she's like no she's moving she's moving a lot i didn't want her to fall off the bed so she's sitting on this corner so she won't fall off the bed at the sense when? She said, since 8.30. And at that time, it was already 10-ish. So I went back called mom. Mom, I was calling her name. She was not moving. She was not talking. Her eyes was just the white, the white. I, I got scared. I said, maybe her sugar went up. I looked for her sugar machine. I tried to check her sugar. I was so, I was shaking. I couldn't even find, I couldn't even hold it right to check her sugar. So I was like, maybe she's tired. Maybe she slept early. So I was just telling mom, mom, mom. And I said, mom, look at how granddaughter was sitting. Because my, my daughter was asking, mom, what happened? Because I started screaming. And I look on the side of the mom, look at your granddaughter. She couldn't open her eyes. She was just making those morning voice. Like, hmm, hmm, but she's not moving, no, nothing. And I stood her up. I said, try to sit down. She was spelling off on the bed. and said, yeah, this is serious. So I have to take her to the hospital. I didn't even think about calling 911 because my mind were... The time to call 911, I'm freaking out. The 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 the, the time that the the uh, yeah, you the had to get her. I was you, so scared. you had to get her in the car. How'd you get her even uh, in the car? Did you carry her? I asked her for I couldn't carry her because she was a little bit heavier. She's not too heavy, she's like a 150 pounds, but at that time she became so heavy. So I asked her friend, why didn't you call me? She said, Oh, the internet is not working. I said, but you could have go out downstairs. This is two hours. She's being this way. We don't even know if it's two hours. Maybe she she'd been this way earlier. So I start panicking. I try to 
take her with me. I couldn't. I said, okay, you can pull her on your back, piggyback her. We go into my car. We put him in the car. So that's what we went downstairs, put in the car. The car was parked in the front. The ER was six minutes from where they live. I drove her right to the ER. And there, it was a whole total different story. The trajectory of her life, it just kind of chaotic. Because she or she is coming from Africa and she has no insurance. She's coming to America. And almost as you and I have talked about before, that it's a blessing. She's here in the U.S. to get care and you get to be with her and you get to advocate for her. You get to see her. She does get to see her daughters, her granddaughter and, and everything else. So when you're in the emergency room with her, what happens from that point? It was, first of all, it was so scary because I was thinking she doesn't have nothing to stay here legally. She doesn't have, uh, her visa was expiring in uh, February 6th and she doesn't have assurance and bring her to big hospital. It was a lot of battering in my mind. So when I brought her there to the emergency room, you can just see everybody was stressed out and I didn't know what was going on. Her fever was high. Her kidney was, oh, her fever was high. And she was shaking, like shaking, cold, very shivering. We had to hold her down so she won't shiver. They gave all the medication. I didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. The only thing that I told the doctors were she's diabetic. Just to make sure that they know exactly what medication to give her or anything just for those first hours. They don't have no medical record. They don't have nothing, just what I'm telling them. It was very chaotic. It was very, very chaotic. We sat there, my sister and I, we sat there for 20, 24 hours straight without even sleeping. Our eyes was on the machines to see her heart rate was dropping. One of them, it dropped to 30. Could the doctor say, as long as she can keep it 60 or 65, it should be fine. But it was dropping just in a second. So if they use the pressers, we didn't have an idea. They didn't say anything. Sometimes they do that. The fever was not going low at all. White blood count was going high. When we got there, it was 12. Then it went to 20. Then it went to 30. Then it went to 40. When I'm asking questions, it's getting worse. What's getting worse? What is it? The infection disease came to say she got a UTI. It was a UTI and E. coli. Now after hours to find that it's a UTI and E. coli that went to her bloodstream. Then I was like, did you got, did the, the, cause she was complaining of having a pain, pelvic pain. Did you get checked to see if there's anything else? And they decide, okay, we're going to do the CT scan, like a below abdominal CT scan. When they came back, she had like a, her kidney was uh, infected and had like gas and water. That's what the doctor said. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to find out what's next and what the treatment plan is for Jenny's mom. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. 
No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. P.A.D. Peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline 415-320-7138. Your Life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. So, Jenny, I just want to make sure I understand what's going on. Sure. Mom, it sounds like, is becoming very sick. She has a urinary tract infection that has ultimately gotten into her bloodstream. And because of that, her blood pressure is dropping. Um, and we use the term septic. Uh, but again, it's just a, a, a very severe infection that can lead to organ dysfunction and or failure. Um, it sounds like the kidneys are not working. Um, obviously in that, in these situations, we worry uh, about other organs failing um, acid building up the body, um, not able to, you know, help itself. And so clearly it sounds like she's on some medication to support her blood pressure and heart rate potentially, but she's, she's not doing well right now. Is she on a breathing machine or is she, um, you know, coherent with you and able to, able to converse? Thank God she's off of the breathing machine. She's talking, she's eating. It just, she went through surgeries that's the only now we're dealing more likely with her mental state more likely because she slept and wake up her her that's what she said her arm is burned and her leg is burned and now the amputee that that's the mental statement that we're dealing with right now as right, right now, now she's but yes. but so during this time when she's they're still trying to work her up and and you know, it's very difficult in the emergency yes. room because they kind of oftentimes have to take a shotgun approach to treating yes. somebody and trying to figure out what's going on. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of yes. balls in the air. It's chaotic. But so they've got her, they've got a diagnosis. And it's my understanding that she obviously was getting very, very sick. Getting very, very sick, yeah. They made the decision that they needed to support her heart and lungs by using something called ECMO. Is that, is that correct? Yes. They use the ECMO and the, on the vessel presser. I learned about it later on when everything was talking about amputation because I didn't know it was not discussed. Uh, That's one of the things also I realized the communication wasn't as it's supposed to be. So to support her life, that's what they did. And when they did the CT scan, they find uh, they wanted to do an emergency uh, surgery with her kidney to put, um, I forgot the name, the tube uh, on the left, right, on left. Uh, yeah, left that's side, the echo so machine, the catheter, right? The catheter, so it can drain, it can drain the. Drain yeah, the so they probably had to do a nephrostomy tube to drain. Nephrostomy, yes. Yeah, so I would imagine the the kidneys infected. They need to yes. try to remove the infection from that. Infection, yeah. But but clearly she's she's not doing well, and so the decision to put somebody on what's called ECMO, so that stands for 
extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which is just kind of a fast, uh, a a fancy term for we're taking out Mm -hmm. her blood through the vein. We're putting it through a machine. We're oxygenating it. And then we're pumping it back in through an artery. So we have bypassed the heart and lung in her situation. Um, And in doing so, folks have pretty big tubes in their legs. Um, The blood flow below where that tube is put in can often be compromised because the body, I mean, if you think about it, right, when you go outside in the cold, what gets, what, what, what gets cold the quickest? It's your hands and your toes because the vessels, what we call vasoconstrict, they clamp down and they shunt blood to vital organs, kidneys, heart, et cetera, you know, the core. Um, and in this situation, it's the same thing. And unfortunately, we do see patients who are on ECMO who are requiring medications to support their blood pressure. These medications cause this what's called vasoconstriction. So the vasovessels constrict or clamp down. And then when they clamp down, the organ that they're giving blood flow to is not getting blood flow anymore. And it's typically the the fingers and the toes. And in some cases, patients can lose they can get a major amputation from it, but this is all done to save the body, save the brain, save the heart, save the kidneys. Um, you do rob Peter to pay Paul in these situations, but uh, I, I would venture to guess that if your mom was not put on ECMO, she would not be alive right now. Okay. I have a question, Dr. Philip. Yes, One that compromised the, those extremities, the hand and the feet, is, is there any way they could like just like they're doing the ECMO, they're doing the tubing, everything. There's any way they could just provide like a oxygen or blood by blood transfusion through her extremities when doing that to make sure that the blood flow still they can really? see have a little bit of blood uh, the blood flow instead of just letting it dry out. What the only option that we have is to often put a tube in that's so the, the so the tube that's in the artery is pointing towards her heart. Okay. And below that tube, and that tube is typically in the growing in the, what's called the femoral artery. We can put a tube pointing down towards the feet and hook up blood flow to that, to provide flow into the leg that will oftentimes preserve the leg itself. But in the setting of somebody who's so sick that um, the vessels in order to maintain adequate blood pressure, you have heavy doses of medication that's that are they're meant to clamp down and, and constrict and allow for that pressure to go up. Um, you oftentimes compromise the smallest arteries in the hands and the and the toes, and there's not really much you can do about that. And and patients lose digits and um it you know, you're gonna tell us it sounds like your mom lost limbs uh, from yeah. this. Yes, she did. That was one of my concerns because I was thinking about if they should to preserve the big, uh, the big organs. They couldn't done. Maybe, like you said, something to preserve, especially the hands. Because the limbs yeah, no. can be. It's 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 know. unfortunate that we can't. We we that we really don't have a good way or any way for that matter to perfuse or give oxygen and nutrients and blood to to the hands in the situation where there's a lot of medications that are really clamping down those vessels. Right. Um, including the vasopressors that 
um, also have side effects that may include complications such as the potential for amputation. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's uh, the the vaso, they're called vasopressors, uh, but the, basically they constrict the vessels to support the blood flow, and that they are the primary um, uh, kind of nidus for causing causing that constriction and then potentially leading to the amputation. Uh, but again, you if there's no brain, if there's no heart, if there's no kidneys, it doesn't matter if you have hands or feet, and that's the way we look at it. And it may seem kind of callous, but I can assure you they did whatever they could to save, to save your mom. And this is the collateral damage that occurs um, during, and it is a war during, during this war to, to save. And a couple, a couple things that, that especially for people who have family members that are in ICU, they're on the ECMO machine, they're on vasopressors, et cetera. Um, A couple things that we've learned Jenny and I along the way from talking to some ECMO specialists is to make sure that they do have someone that's monitoring the gases and the um, coagulation of the blood. Can you, or at least the thickness of the blood, would you mind expanding on that and just why they have to monitor those two things? Uh, yeah. So you have to make sure the blood is, has a certain pH to it because um, that allows it to function in its optimal range. You have to make sure that there's certain amounts of oxygen in the blood and the carbon dioxide is being removed. So this is the it, it's called the gas exchange that's occurring outside the body. Um, and the blood also has to be very thin um, in, in most cases now getting into the weeds a little bit. But most situations, the patients are on blood thinners to prevent clotting uh, and, and fairly high doses. There are some places that actually do run the ECMO, it's called an ECMO circuit without being on a blood thinner. Um, but there are also things that we worry about are the, the platelet levels and the, and the um, what are called the coagulation factors. Yes. Are they in the appropriate range? Um, and, and so it's, I mean, ECMO is not done very frequently if you think about it, but when it is, so it's done for folks that are very, very sick and on the ver I mean, this is a life-saving intervention. <clears throat> and so in these situations where there's a lot of moving parts, it, it's not uncommon for, you know, certain things to go wrong. And, um, you know, there, there are ECMO specialists. I mean, I would imagine in this situation, you have an in- intensive care doctor, you have the infectious disease doctors, you have yeah. potentially respiratory therapists that can run the ECMO machines or, or we call perfusionists that run them. You have a lot of cooks in this kitchen, so to speak, that are all kind of hopefully pulling the rope in the same direction to save your mom's life and, and have a meaningful life. Um, and so, so coming up. Right here on the heart of innovation. We have so much to talk about. It's it's just hard to take a break in a conversation like this. But coming up next, we are going to just get to the heart of what it's like to be a family member in this situation and and feel helpless um, as as your family members going through sitting in ICU, not knowing, you know, whether they're going to be alive, lose their life, lose their limb. And Jenny is going to um, share her experience. Hopefully um, you will learn from that. So stay with us. What does the color of your feet say about your vascular health? 
Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Rothenberg, a podiatrist and director of medical affairs for Podometrics, a diabetic foot diagnostic mat company. I'm coming to you this week with your medical notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation and the Way to My Heart. Today, we're talking about the color of your feet. Skin discoloration can occur to the feet and legs for a variety of reasons and can range from pale white to dark black in discoloration. Of course, we have to take into account the patient's normal skin tone, and it's a relative change in the skin discoloration that could be, again, white, purple, blue, or even dark black in discoloration. Some of these, again, based on the person's usual skin tone, can be very obvious or they can be particularly subtle and we have to pay close attention. Skin discoloration can occur for a variety of reasons, including dermatologic conditions such as eczema or psoriasis or even skin cancers cause skin discoloration. There are also systemic issues like diabetes and peripheral arterial disease or infections that can cause discoloration as well. We all have also bumped our little toe on the nightstand and it turns usually purple, yellow, or even black from discoloration of trauma and bruising. So we do oftentimes want to pay particular attention to the discoloration, but also to any potential symptoms or signs that are associated with that discoloration. So what do I mean by that? We want to know, is there also temperature changes? So does that area of brown discoloration or purple discoloration also feel particularly cool or warm to the touch? Cool may be a sign of poor circulation. Warm may be a sign of infection. What about uh, also, is there swelling in that local area? Or is there a break in the skin? Is there... Are there bumps? Is there drainage? So not only do we want to pay attention to the discoloration, but it's like putting a puzzle together with other signs or symptoms as well. In particular, those at risk for developing uh, peripheral arterial disease and diabetes, usually we look for skin discoloration along the legs or the feet, and some common conditions may be venous insufficiency, also, these generally present as purple or brownish patches on the lower extremity and are commonly associated with swelling and even can blister and open up into open sores. I also like to emphasize that sometimes skin discoloration is temporary, and that's what we expect. So as an example, you might be caught outdoors for a longer period of time than you expected on a cool day. You come home, and there may be some purple discoloration to your feet. Well, the next morning when you awaken, I would presume and assume that that discoloration has resolved. So again, these things that persist, that have other associated symptoms, those are particularly concerning to me as a provider, and I would encourage you to discuss with your healthcare provider. Again, I'm Dr. Gary Rothenberg. For more information on peripheral arterial disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support and advocacy, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Remember, the information provided in this series 
are for educational purposes only. Don't act on any information provided without the explicit consent of your healthcare team who knows your situation best. Thank you. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are talking to Jenny, who is sitting in a hospital room right now near her mom, who has been fighting for her life. But Jenny, you've been fighting right alongside her every step of the way. And throughout the show, we've been getting insight from Dr. Phillips about uh, the technology, the medicine behind what your mom has been going through. But for you, can you talk from your perspective, the family member watching this go, go on with your mom and having to make the critical decisions? Thank you, Kim. Um, it is scary. It is really it is scary. scary. It yeah. is very scary because you don't know. You don't know what the next doctor will come and tell you. You don't know what the next uh, approach is. You don't know. Well, really, really, it, it's tough. You don't, you don't know because this is new. It's life changing. And um, as right now, maybe I try because I have you. I have, you know, I'm having those questions. I have another girl that I find out. She went through the same situation. That's the good thing to do. Do your research and find some. That's that gave me a little bit of hope. Because my mind, you're thinking about the worst. Like, okay, four limbs off. What is she gonna do? She's she's not from here. She where she's from, being amputee or being a disabled person, you don't count. You do not count. You cannot work. If you wanna marry, nobody will marry you. If it was just, it's an end for you. Even for one limb, one for you, life is done. It's over. So her mm-hmm. coming here, waking up four days after, and now four limbs is gone. So she feel worthless. And you thinking about that because I'm from the, I'm, I'm from Afri- Africa as well. And thinking about that before even her, you think about you and you think about her and you think about your, your siblings. So the pain is just crucial. So finding someone who been through the same situation help to ask questions. How did you do this? How did you do? So you need to do your own research. Find someone, learn from them, and try to explain them to the best of their ability to understand that they still lie after this. They still It's hard even yourself. You don't accept it, but you need to make them accept that this life after this. And Gosh, that must be so hard, especially it is hard. sisters, that all of you being from the Congo and being in that culture where they just feel as though someone who loses their limbs is worthless and you're thinking in your mind, oh my gosh, my mom is not worthless. She means the world yeah. to us. And your sister reached yes. out to us here at yes, the way to my did. heart. And that's how you and I got connected. Connected, and yes. Take us yes. from there. As she reached out to you and she called me. She was at work. She called me like, Chen, take this number. Please call her, call her. She called me. Please call her. I cannot be on the phone right now. She may help us save mom. She may help us save mom. Live. But it is hard. Okay. It is yeah. ex- extremely hard. You can't just imagine that. So now, you know, she came to take care of her granddaughter. Now we got to take care of 110%. And also for my culture is 
my culture is more likely if um you cannot see your mom like you know fully undressed it's bad luck but then we're in the hospital you gotta do what you gotta do so she can be clean even though people are doing the based on the way she likes it so you gotta step in and do the, the work while you're battling your mind it goes okay my god what are we gonna do after here oh my god well how can we do it oh my god like we say work we took off work my sister all my sister quit the work whoever go was going to school quit school i didn't work for like two months now we're like oh my god what can we do so we have because she doesn't speak english there's not her dialect there's no like an interpreter here so that means when the doctor comes speaking very clearly oh she may die so she's looking at you. what the doctor said you gotta gasp first before try to make it to the best way possible to explain to her you can just stand there and just start crying and she looked at you she's like what's going on what did they say you just like stop it feel like your heart stopped, life stops. You can do nothing no more. You are vers- you are dead. That's why I felt like I felt like a dead person. She's trying to walk. Mm. This time I was just zoned out, dark. I mean, faint, but I'm just trying. I can't do this because I'm a healthcare proxy. I gotta stay hard. I gotta stand up because I gotta stand up for her. I need to find out what's going on. How? And be like, okay, there's no assurance. There won't be a rehabilitation. You gotta take her home just like this. Be careful. For- it's just a nightmare. It is a nightmare. It is hard. Faith, that's one thing that carried us. Just faith and praying, faith and praying, God, please protect her heart. We don't, because we don't want her to give up. We can give everything we can give, but if she gave up, that's it. How can you just tell, convince your mom, mom, okay, you know what? Just give up your limbs. It's fine. Just let them cut it off. We don't know. Because she's is- like, you used social media after that to media. find someone yes, who I would did. talk to her. TikTok, of all I things. I know, TikTok. Because I, I was desperate. I was desperate at that point because I'm the oldest of four. I need to be strong for my mom. I need to be strong for my dad who's still back home. I need to be strong for my siblings who are here with me. I need to be strong for her family member who's still back over there asking questions. So I'll be on my phone 24 seven, trying to update everybody, anybody by the end of the day, I'm drained. And I got to do that again the next morning with the wow. doctors who are coming. Then I was like, you know what? I know this may happen. They start looking at amputation. I need to find somebody who looks like her just to see what, what's going on. So tell I us about that look. search. That search, it was, it took me like a week and I was finding you know, I'll, I'll find someone, I'll come to talk to them like, oh, you know, you know, I find someone, then I talk to them. Then if they see like, it's normal here. But then even though I tell her, she'd be like, oh, they're from here. That's normal here. They're from here. That's normal. But out of the blue, I tried again and I find that girl. I just text her, email her, go, please girl, call me. I'm desperate. I need help. So I can at least show to my siblings, show to my mom, show to my family member to see like, hey, look at her. She's living her life. She's running marathon. She's doing this. She's cooking. She's a mother. She's a wife. It's okay. So out of the sudden, she took my number. She called me right away. She called me. And since then, she's been a big, big, big help. Not only for her and for my mom, for me to stay strong, because if she did it, she can do it. And I ask her, where are you from? She's like, oh, no, I'm from Kenya. I was like, thank God. 
she's a believer. We are believers. So mom, look, see, she's from Africa too. And it happened to her. This is what happened with the family member. They didn't want to do the, the amputation. The family was praying because it was more likely family are praying. The limb will come back and say, I believe to the, the power of the Holy the God, everything I do. But sometimes it's here. You can see she can have fever out of the blue talking. She gets a fever. She becomes unconscious. She becomes, she lost her mind. Her muscles, her face muscles start shaking. And that's, again, scary. It's taking me back to the day I found her, the day that we went to the ER. It just scared your heart. Just stop. It goes like, okay, I would prefer to see her in the wheelchair than to see her dead. I can't. So we need to convince her. I talk to the girl. She's like, I'm willing to come down there to the hospital. If you come to give her a little bit of motivation, I will be there to come. She's so I can motivate her to do this because I'm like this and I'm leaving. It's okay. And I'm going to walk you guys through all the, uh, everything you need. So she's been calling FaceTime. She's been having the prosthetic. She's actually showing us, I got some three or four you can use. So the big problem was more likely when they do the amputation to save the, the, the knees and the elbows. And that was a hard problem too, because the doctor was suggesting below the, uh, above the knees and above, above, above the elbow. After I saw her for that, I don't care how long it takes. You got to do below the knee. No, you look at my mom. She's 55. No, she may know her chance of walking is very slim. She's uh, seeing her age, seeing, um, we don't think she will use her limb no more. She'll be well wheelchair bent. And every day my mom be like, I prefer being dead than being in a wheelchair. I was like, so what am I doing here? What am I going to do? What am I, what are we going to do? So we support each other. My siblings and I, we support each other. We are like two, two, me and my other sister, other side, we, we say, okay, fine. They'll do the amputation. We'll see what's going on after that. The other two was like, there's no way they'll do the amputation. I'm sorry. Even though I'm a, I'm a healthcare proxy, I just need the approval of all three of them because we're still going through the same thing. I cannot just put them in the dark. I need to make them understand so we can do the work. It was, it, it was hard. And I have That's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. It is a lot of pressure. And the doctor, when you see the kidney doctor come talk to you, the blood doctor come talk to you, you have a doctor who's telling you, oh yeah, she may die on the table when you do the surgery. <sighs> okay, what am I supposed to do? And oh, she doesn't have a lot of blood. She, we, we, that one, that's one thing we have to, you have to battle for negativity okay we'll come about it right here on the heart of innovation we're going to find out where her mom right is right now in her journey and what's next so stay with us welcome back to the heart of innovation for more on today's topic go to theheartofinnovation.org that's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. So, Jenny, during the break, you were sharing with us that as it stands right now, your mom has lost both her upper extremities but above the elbows and the right leg below the knee. And tomorrow she's having surgery on the left leg and they have to decide whether or not it's going to be above or below the knee. Yes. Uh, for the for this extreme, the upper extremity, she did have, uh, is below the elbow. Oh, below the elbow. I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Okay. Slightly below the elbow. And her left leg, it was below the knee. She has a surgery. She has a surgery tomorrow, which we're hoping 
to be below the knees as well. And if she can have some mobility, you know, flexibility to do. Right. So I just think she accepted she, that. Like, put, put us in, I, we, we, it's hard to walk a mile in your shoes or let alone your mom's, but I, I you know, listening to you and I'm kind of taken aback on how focused you seem to be. Um, you know, there's a task at hand and you have to kind of execute that task, meaning get mom through point, you know, get her through this and get her through that and just kind of move and march forward. Um, where did you get that inner resolve from? I'm assuming from your parents. So mom must have the same inner resolve too. So it sounds like she has that will to survive and you guys are going to keep fighting and and she's going to do okay. Right. Yes. 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 She wants to fight because at the end of the day, when we, we didn't beg what I started, I started because the doctor were like, Oh, we're going to tell her we're going to have a stampitation. I said, no, you know, she won't understand your language. She'll understand how we, as her daughter, explaining to her. First of all, we'll start by encouraging her how strong she is. You know, we know how to play around that area so we can talk to her. Then we can bring up the the surgery, uh, the surgery matter. Before bringing that up, uh, the pictures, the video that I found for the girl that I found on TikTok, She's showing her this life. Look at this book. Look at this teacher. She's doing this. She lost her, you know, just to do those prep before telling her exactly what's going on. But it was not sitting well with the doctors. It, it, it was a whole chaos before. The, literally, I wasn't there. The brother, like interpreter, the brother, everybody came to her, talked to her. And she refused to talk to them. I said, you know, I want my mom to leave. I'm not going to lie to her. It just, it takes time for us to explain to her, for her to understand what's going on. Because as ourselves, we don't understand what's going on. We know just it happened. We were not prepped for this. We were not prepared for the pressures we're going to do. You know, it was just out of a sudden. It came, oh, we do our computation. Go the OT, PT. Sorry to interrupt, but we only have about a minute left. Do you have a new mission in life now? I do. I I do. I do. I absolutely do. If Kim, (laughs) patient advocate, it's something that I'm called up. that's my calling. I need to do that. If I had people on, on my side came and the one I find on TikTok helped me throughout the journey and I'm helping my siblings to understand and I'm helping her and it's going a little bit easier than I thought it would be. Not easier, but it's going positively that I thought it would be. It was a try. And why can I not do it for all the people or the patient yeah, or the family? You feel like there's a purpose, it's, right? It's a purpose. It's the purpose because Without the help, I don't know. We will go crazy, absolutely crazy, because we don't know. This is a new life. This is a new era. This is a new, it's, everything is new. We don't know how to do it, but having someone next to you to understand, understand what you're going through and give you the good advice and just guide you, it's very, very helpful. It's very helpful that you can even imagine because it gives, it gives me the strength to help my family. Yep. And now Jenny and I are on this next phase of this journey, and we are launching Limbless and Living Through the Way to My Heart. And we are going to find new initiatives and new innovation that are helping those who are limb different. So make sure you go to thewaytomyheart.org and send us a message through there and ask to subscribe to this new initiative that we are doing 
so that we can help Jenny, her mom, and so many others live different and thrive. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you so much, Jenny, for sharing your story, for your courage, for your perseverance. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Phillips. Thank you. It's a right <laughs> Jenny, Jenny uh, you're an inspiration, and as is your Thank mom. You. So good luck tomorrow. Thank you very much, Dr. Phillips. I appreciate that. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room.